we manage everything from skincare, health and wellness, furniture, art, wall art, uh, really any category except fashion. And we find brands, well, we actually owned an educational course. Um, So when Amazon, I think there were only three ad types back in the day, but nobody was teaching brands how to manage those ad types on Amazon. We had an educational course called Sponsored Products Academy that taught brands how to manage it. But we had a handful of brands coming to us saying, we don't want to train our people to do this. You know how to do this. Can you please just manage it for us? Welcome to the Second in Command podcast produced by the COO Alliance and brought to you by its founder, Cameron Harold. In the Second in Command podcast, we talk to top COOs who share the insights, strategies, and tactics that made them the chief behind the chief. And now, here's your host, Cameron Harold. All right, you're going to love this episode. We have a great guest with us today, Haley Burt, who has been the COO for Canopy Management Since they only had six employees, there are over 100 employees today. She's going to talk about why she chose to be a COO Alliance member to help her with her growth, how the company Canopy Management uh, focuses on growing people, how they document all their processes. They've got 1,400 pages of documented playbooks, which has really helped them with their growth. This is a brand that actually helps um, bigger brands sell on Amazon and Walmart. And she's going to talk to us about some of the insights of dealing with an organization like Amazon and being able to help brands scale and sell. She can talk about a concept called rhino lining, which I loved. And we're going to get into how that's helped toughen her up and um, allow the company to scale. Also, how they work on setting goals with their employees, setting monthly goals, and taking the goals of the company down to the individual and team layer on a monthly basis. And um, even some of their thoughts around people and some of the frustrations of having to deal with people that aren't kind of where they struggle with that as an organization and some of her thoughts around that side of the business as well. Hope you'll love the episode. We'll see you on the inside. So Haley, welcome to the Second in Command podcast. Thanks, Cameron. Great to be here. Yeah, looking forward to learning from you as well. I mean, this is also a great episode because you're also a COO Alliance member. Mm-hmm. So why don't we even start with that before we dive into what Canopy does and, and how you got there and kind of how you've um, you know moved into the role of COO and, and even your five years with the company. Tell me a little bit about what it was about the COO Alliance that had you join. What were you looking for in your growth and and how did we make that fit? Yeah. So when we started, and you know, we're five people and we're looking for mentors and we find some groups, um, but they're all CEO focused. And, you know, it's it's always the entrepreneurs and they're much louder than the operators generally. So there's not really a great space in those groups for us to collaborate and talk through the challenges of the detailed part of building a company, um, the processes and managing the people and all of those topics um, apart from the vision. So I just went out searching for groups that were more operationally focused and uh, really excited to find the COO Alliance. It's been great to learn from other COOs out there that might be a little more reluctant to speak in those entrepreneur groups. Yep. I, I totally get it. I resonate with that. I, I used to go to a lot of the entrepreneur events as well. And at times I wanted to sit and talk about you know, recruiting and interviewing, and I wanted to spend three hours on it. But in a three-hour conversation, entrepreneurs have talked about eight different things. You know, they they kind yeah. of thirty thousand foot. All right, makes a lot of sense. So, why don't you tell us a little bit about Canopy? What does the organization do? What was it that that kind of kept you engaged? And and um, you know, how's you excited being their COO? 
Yeah, yeah. So Canopy is an e-commerce brand management firm that helps brands on Amazon and Walmart. Amazon's a tricky platform. Uh, they they change things all the time. We just found that larger brands didn't have the expertise and they didn't want to devote a team to learning it and keeping up with it. So the demand is really high there. And on the other hand, operationally, to build your business around something that's constantly changing um, definitely had to be creative. There's always the new challenge. Um, there's so many different ad types and ways to succeed on Amazon um, from the listing to trying to establish and drive uh, traffic off from off Amazon on Amazon to, to get your ranking going. Um, that's where we step in and, and really help them succeed. It's been fun. Now, there's been a huge trend over the last 10 years for entrepreneurs to start selling stuff on Amazon. I mean, these are the companies that are, you know, they're buying off Alibaba and they're flipping it over and selling it into the U.S. for a profit. But you guys are working with real brands, with other companies, or are you also selling some of your own products as well? So we we have an arm, Canopy Brands, that does own own brands and manage those. And actually that is kind of like our testing ground. And so it's amazing for the team to try out new strategies, really cutting edge stuff, test new ad types and new beta programs that Amazon's putting out without putting someone else's product on the line. So we we do test um, and have our own brands that are doing well too. So we do a little bit of both. I love that. It's in in the franchising world, I've always encouraged franchisors to own some corporate locations as well as to franchise. And I think it's just irresponsible for them to go out and franchise their business and not own a number of locations in a number of different markets. You know, own one in a very, you know, urban market, own one in a very, you know, wealthy market, own one in a very expensive market, own one in a tertiary, a small city, like a, you know, a 30,000 person city. And I think if you can, if a company can do that, it, it makes it work. So is that an expensive part of the business in terms of you guys making those decisions and learning? Or are you always on the bleeding edge and you're winning there as well because you're testing stuff out and you're able to do it before the competition comes in? Yeah, yeah. I would say we're winning there. Luckily, we are generating revenue. It's not just a test where we're we're throwing money into a black box. And um, we do find a lot of traction and success. Our team has been in Amazon for, oh gosh since its inception, since it was just getting out of its bookstore phase. Um, so they really find success pretty quickly with the new programs. Yeah. Now, you also mentioned Walmart. How big is Walmart for some of these companies? Like if they're doing, let's say a brand is doing $50 million a year on Amazon, what percentage are they doing typically on Walmart? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, Walmart is really an up-and-comer just in the last few years. Like if you even ask me that, one, two years ago, I would say it's not a giant player yet. The platform wasn't super sophisticated and they're getting up to speed quickly. Um, they definitely have a leg up as far as distribution with all their locations compared to Amazon's fulfillment centers. So I think it's an amazing up and coming channel that's really going to rival Amazon. So I think that brands will be missing out if they don't hop on the train before it really takes off there on the Walmart front. It's interesting. I heard that from um, from a company a couple of years ago that Walmart was starting to kick in, but they didn't explain the whole distribution point, which makes a lot of sense. So are they running distribution from their stores? Are they doing online orders? And then one of somebody comes and picks up from a store and delivers? Yeah, they, I mean, because they have stores in every location across the country, every state, almost every city, they do use those as hubs too. So they have a, a major advantage uh, compared to Amazon for sure. 
That makes a lot of sense. It's huge. Okay. Now I also heard something a couple of years ago and correct me if I'm wrong, that target was coming into the online space as well. Is target just kind of a, a far behind third place or are they even anything to worry about or consider at this point or are brands starting to look at them as well? Yeah. I don't even know if they're really a true marketplace. It's so gated. Um, it's still kind of invite only. It's really hard to get your products listed there. They're very, very selective. So it's not really an open avenue for brands to explore at this point, especially the smaller brands who are gaining traction on Amazon and Walmart. Okay. So you've got Canopy brands and Canopy management. I'm not going to ask you direct revenue numbers. I know they're big, but what would the Canopy brands percentage of your revenue be? And what would the Canopy management percentage of your revenue be? Yeah. Yeah. Management's 90%. 90%. I think the brands is, is just 10%. Okay, that's that's cool. So you are kind of dipping your toe in it and playing with it, but making money off it as well. Exactly. What kind of brands do you manage and and where do you find them? Yeah, so we manage everything from skincare, health and wellness, furniture, art, wall art, uh, really any category except fashion. And we find brands, well, we actually own an educational course. Um, so when Amazon... I think there were only three ad types back in the day, but nobody was teaching brands how to manage those ad types on Amazon. We had an educational course uh, called Sponsored Products Academy that taught brands how to manage it. But we had a handful of brands coming to us saying, we don't want to train our people to do this. You know how to do this. Can you please just manage it for us? And that's how Canopy was born in 2018. Um, And so once we started the firm, Open the doors. We had a lot of brands coming to us. And then now I think referrals make up our biggest influx of new brands. So we have 84% year over year profit growth for our brands because it's just so hard to effectively scale and manage spend there. And we find we can spend a lot less and get them a lot more revenue. So word of mouth is, is huge for us. Okay. 84% year over year growth is crazy. Why is that happening? What are you doing that's working? Yeah, I think, well, first of all, I mean, the traffic on Amazon, you know, it's there, but if you're not competitive with your listing, you need to have the videos there. You need your storefront built out. You need to really showcase your product in the best light. That's like step one, step zero. Besides that, there are a lot of strategies to get your products to the first page. If you're not on the first page or two, you are not ever going to have, you know, the traffic that you need to generate a lot of revenue. And so taking advantage of the ad types, all of them, and having a really great offensive and defensive strategy against your competitors and just finding those sources of traffic within Amazon, I think it's pretty nuanced. And we we spent a lot of time really perfecting our process. And so we can, you know, as diverse as the brands are, we have a really great minimum viable process that we build upon and make unique to each brand and um, get those kind of results. 84% year-over-year profit growth. We're we're extremely proud of that. Yeah, that's a solid number. So when the brands are selling on Amazon, I know that one of the things that they really are frustrated with are the third-party sellers of their products. So sometimes it's selling to those people as wholesale, and then the wholesalers are selling it at a discounted price and sometimes it's just, you know, third party people buying it and selling it. I don't know how they're doing it cheaper, but how do you prevent that? Or is that part of your strategy on helping brands out is by preventing others from selling? 
Yeah, we absolutely help out on that front and we can successfully get, I would say over 90% of those sellers removed. There are always going to be a few that maybe pop up, but I think five years ago, there were a lot of brands that said, you know what, we're not going to sell on Amazon. It's just not in our model. We, It's not a channel we want to explore. Amazon takes too big of a cut. But just like you said, if they're not selling, someone else is selling their product. And they're likely not doing a great job maintaining the listing, maintaining the customer experience the way that the brand wants. So it's not really an option to just ignore the Amazon channel anymore because people are going to find the product there. So we do have a strategy. We get with our legal team and we, you know send out letters. And unless the third-party sellers have an agreement with the original brand, they are not authorized to sell on Amazon. So you can go back and forth between Amazon and those brands to get them removed. And what what size does a company typically need to be to start working with you? Is there a certain revenue number or um, you know, a certain number yeah. that they need? Yeah. So we typically work with brands that do a minimum over a million dollars a year on Amazon. We just need the budget for renovating listings, doing all that advertising, um, really putting the work into the back end and getting those other sellers removed, like you mentioned. Um, so that's where we find we really can move the needle. And are you taking a percentage of the revenue that you generate for them as well? Or are you only getting a fee for service? How's your revenue model work? Yeah. So I, I do love our revenue model because it's based on year over year profit growth. So If we take on a brand and we've not grown them, we're only taking a cut of where we've moved the needle for them and grown them. So we do have a small flat fee to cover our hard costs, but we are really a performance-based model and we like to win when our brands win. That's actually part of our mission statement. Partner success is canopy success. So we want to win when they win. I love it. There's a uh, a guy who does that in the radio advertising space. His name is Roy Williams. He's run, he's called the Wizard of Ads. And he builds such a huge trust between his brands that he manages the radio ads for that they never want to leave. And if they leave, they're never allowed to use his model or his systems. Um, they don't even know what his buys are. They, he doesn't disclose the buys. So they're so kind of wrapped up. How do you prevent when you've done all this work for a brand and you've really grown their revenue, you've grown their profitability, they're kind of on autopilot. How do you prevent them from leaving? Not prevent them. How do you, how, how do you build I know what you're saying. I know what you're saying. So we've gotten things running, you know, they're optimized, they're, they're efficient, right on the ad front. We really like to work with brands and give them homework too. We love to see brands expand their product line and really succeed. We are great at, you know, analyzing the data about Amazon and finding those gaps in the market and saying, Hey, you, you should really launch. This would be great with your product line. You know, the traffic's already there. You should launch a version of this with your product line, giving them that kind of homework. And then also just expanding into other channels like, like Walmart, right? Um, we're, we're really happy to set up different channels. And I think once we've perfected one, we can move on to the next one. I think there's always something to be said about sitting ahead of the the content game. You know, I, I think that content's really king right now. You have to have amazing content and keep it fresh and relevant. And that those are the brands that are really, really succeeding right now. So we love helping out on that front. And we've won a bunch of awards for our creative work. So I think there's there's always ways to move the needle there. Now, what about your growth in the organization? You've been with the company for just under five years now. How have you had, and how many employees does the company have now? And how many were there when you started? Yeah, so I was employee number six and we have over a hundred now. And so that's a, that's a lot of growth in for, we're coming into our fifth year right now. 
It's been amazing. It's been amazing. I think at first we really needed, you know, when you're, when you're a six person team, everyone has to be good at a lot of things, wearing a lot of hats, being extremely agile. And then now over a hundred, we're finding we need experts at very specific things. So just watching that transition, it's been really cool. And then also, you know, joining CO Alliance, trying to specialize more myself as I've gotten out of the operational processes and more into managing efficiency and managing the the people in the team and the outcomes for the brands. Um, that's been my personal growth journey in Canopy as well. What was the what was the growth of the company like? And not in terms of revenue growth, but how did you need to evolve and grow as a company during COVID? I mean, three years ago we got hit with you know, this, did you, were you a remote company at the time? Are you remote now? What, what things did you have to go through in that kind of three-year yeah. period? Yeah, we were one of the lucky ones. So we have always been virtual. We're primarily in Texas and primarily in the U.S., but we are global. So we have everyone from Singapore to Spain, um, really everywhere in between. Um, so when COVID hit, it was not super big impact for us. I think the the supply chain is really what hurt Amazon the most, but Amazon actually really thrived during those years and the revenue on Amazon was accelerated, um, kind of corrected afterwards back to its original trajectory of growth, which is still extremely strong. But I hate to say it, COVID was not a bad time for us. It was, it was okay. It was okay. Hey, it's Cameron. Did you hear? That's right, I wrote another book. But this book isn't just another book for me, it's actually for you, the visionary CEO that is looking to grow and scale their business. This book is called The Second in Command, Unleash the Power of Your COO. As a founder and CEO, you're used to making all the decisions, but the business you have isn't the one you envision. Heck, we've all been there. And the thing is, you know what you need. You need a COO, someone who can help you build the company you don't know how to build on your own. The Second in Command is your go-to guidebook when you're ready to scale up. I go through all the details in every aspect of the process, from knowing when you need to hire a COO, through identifying and hiring the right candidate, and successfully onboarding and working with them, and so much more. Go to CameronHerald.com forward slash new book to get your copy today. The Second in Command reveals the benefits COOs bring to companies and explores the many ways a COO mastermind or a COO forum can help grow the COO skills. You'll meet the types of COOs and understand the role each type plays, discover how to bring on a COO into your company with the least disruption, and avoid common problems before they arrive. Once again, it's CameronHerald.com forward slash new book to grab your copy today. There's no need to go it alone. We're in this together. Now back to the show. All right. So talk to me a little bit about the complexities of dealing with an organization like Amazon that's massive. And my understanding is that we often don't even have direct access into a person, or maybe there's one person that you're entirely reliant on, and they're now dealing with these supply chain issues. So how do you navigate around that when you have such a limited pipeline into the organization? And, And am I correct that it's like a very, like you might have one or two key contacts there, and otherwise you're just praying that they don't change much? Yeah. So I think for a lot of brands, that's the case. Like if you're just one brand on Amazon, you have a few reps that you're in contact with. And I that's one of the biggest things we hear and that we manage and help um, 
control for our partners is that communication with Amazon. Uh, luckily, between all our brands, we have so many reps. And we also really have, we create templates for how to solve certain issues like suppressions and things so that our team knows a lot of times you just have to send the same message to them over and over and over and then it finally gets through. So we do all the um, very tedious, heavy lifting to get the response, to get the listings unsuppressed, to move the needle. But it is hard. It is hard. I, I don't know that the departments within Amazon talk to each other very well. I think they have a lot of silos and they're I mean, obviously a massive, massive company. So we just try to hit it from all angles and maintain relationships with as many reps as we can. I'd like you to speak to something on just the growth of the company again of your business. So I often talk that companies change when they go through the ones and the threes. So from one employee to three, from three to 10, from 10 to 30, from 30 to 100. So I'm curious how mm-hmm. the company evolved. Can you kind of roll the camera back when you were 10 employees and you went to 30? What really started to change there? And then what's what's very different now that you're at 100 from certainly when you're at 10, but even at 30? Yeah, yeah. So I think when you're at 10 employees, like you're saying, you you kind of think, oh, if we can only solve this problem, you know, we're we're going to get to the next level and we'll never have problems again. There's almost this feeling like if I just hit this revenue number or solve this one problem, it's all going to be better. And you've just solving one problem creates another. So I think at 10 people, we were really still trying to nail down the best MVP for bringing brands under the canopy and getting them to succeed because brands are so diverse, um, different seasonalities, different categories. We were still ironing, ironing out our operational processes to get the best result. I think by 30, the challenge has changed. Um, we got the process in place. We got really great at training our team. And so we were able to scale our operational team to handle the management of many more brands. And then our challenge became, okay, how do we get in contact with more brands? We're ready to, you know, go from 50 brands to hundred brands under management. And so, you know, it became a sales and revenue operational challenge at that point. And then, you know, finding people who specialize in, in helping us solve those kinds of problems. It's interesting. You, you mentioned the, seven, the the sales and marketing problem that I think when when companies get to focus on sales and marketing, that's where the trajectory can really grow because you can start to buy your way out of every problem at that point, right? When you're truly focused on growing revenue, growing gross margin, then you can start buying people, you can start buying systems, you can really put the the infrastructure in place. Mm-hmm. Was that the balance for you in that growth is kind of doing both until you could just focus on revenue or? Yeah, you know, we had to stop selling for a while. It, I think in 2019, we just told, you know, our sales team, okay, guys, go sit on the bench. Luckily, it was like a small two-person team. We're like, okay, let's let's just maintain the pipeline, but we're not closing any new deals. Like we are maxed out on the brands under management. So we did pause, but that was that was the last time. And now we have over 1,400 documented pages of procedures. And Tetra is like our our wiki that we use. And so now we're we're just like, bring it on. We're ready to go. We're ready to go. But I think we've had, you know, the idea of buying your way out of <laughs> out of problems. I don't know that that's we've found success with that yet. We're still pretty hands-on with the sales and marketing process, but making progress. You're probably past there. So when when you when you deal with brands, and I would imagine some of your clients are are some of the larger brands out there as well. Often these enterprise level companies want things their way or they want 
things done differently. How do you balance the need of the customer with the reality that we can't do everything their way? It's kind of you sell them what they want, but you give them what they need. How do you balance that and say no to some of these bigger brands to show them that you know what you're doing and you have to do it your way as well? Or do you? Yeah, I think... Yeah, we definitely do. Um, with our our largest brands, you know, we really try to to solve their problems. We want coming back to their success is our success. Like we are going to do everything we can wherever the roadblocks are to make sure that their revenue is growing on Amazon and Walmart. Um, but at the same time, setting expectations and also letting them know what they need to do on their end. You know, sometimes they need to go back and they need to fix something about a product. Like if there's a flaw with a product and it's getting negative reviews, they need to go back and, and, you know, go back to research and design, solve the problem and come back out with it. Because no matter how many ad dollars we expertly deploy, they're never going to hold their ranking because there's, there's a fundamental flaw with the problem. Um, And besides that, I think giving them homework on their end and saying, look, go research this other product we want you to launch, you know, go do your work to get approved for this other channel on your end so that we can help you manage it. We try to really form a partnership with them and it's, it comes hand in hand. You know, we're not there to solve all their problems. We're there to work with them to get the best possible result. So I think kind of framing it that way has helped as well. Great. It sounds like there's a bit of an education part and there's a bit of a sell them, don't tell them. So. You you said fourteen hundred pages of documented systems playbooks. How do you know when you've got too many? How do you balance out not having enough? And how do you how did you get to the stage where you are good as a company of documenting systems and and are, how do you get people to follow them? It's a lot there, I know. Yeah, yeah, there is a lot there. So I think I think we always get feedback when we're training new people, and then we refine the process from there. So we're very careful to ask every new tribe member who's gone through the training, like, what did you like about it? What was unnecessary? Where can we improve? So getting that continuous feedback to refine the processes. And then it's just really a part of our core values that we reiterate every week on our company-wide huddle is like, if it's not documented, it doesn't exist. If you've done something more than once, you need to update that process. And so I think just getting everyone to have that extreme ownership feeling around our processes and knowing that, you know, we're tech enabled, but we're not a software company. So our process is our magic sauce, right? Our special sauce that gets the results and that ensures that we're doing everything in a similar fashion for all our brands and really covering all our bases. So I think it's just something we've tried to instill deeply into our our core values in our company. And you said you're documenting all the processes in a wiki? Yeah. Yeah. It's called Tetra. It's it's like a wiki. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Say it slowly. What's it called? Tetra. Oh, Tetra. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Very cool. Thank you. Um, all right. So you, you talked about scaling your team and, and I think you were talking about scaling the skill set of the team as well as scaling the actual numbers on your team. What does scaling the skill set of your team look like? Yeah, we are really big into um, professional and personal development. I think sometimes it's it's kind of goes hand in hand. So we try to give as many opportunities as we can to set people up for success. And like our finance team, we say, what are, what are, you know, what's one conference you can attend this year? What's one course you can get this year in certification that's going to help you grow to the next level? And encouraging our sales team, we give them books to read and, and do like a book club thing to make sure that they're staying up to date. And I think just encouraging them, um, 
biannually on their reviews. It's a part of their review. What, how did you professionally grow this year? And you know, what was the result? What do you want to do next year to grow professionally? So I think that's helped a lot. I love that. I've, I've always believed that a leader's job is to grow people, right? To actually grow their skill set and their confidence. I launched a course two years ago called Invest in Your Leaders, just for that purpose of giving managers and leaders the core leadership skills to scale. So what what about your growth? I mean, you mentioned, you know, looking for a group like the CO Alliance and getting involved in that. But what specifically have you worked on over the five years to allow yourself to scale from, you know, being employee number six to, you know, being COO of the 100 person company today? Yeah, that's a great question. I think some of it in business is growing your rhino lining. Like there are always problems, kind of like I alluded to, but you learn that you are going to find a solution to whatever problems coming up in the company and to eliminate those bottlenecks. So you gain confidence in your ability to tackle that so they don't become daunting. So at first, you know, it's six person company, you're just super hands-on running the process, working in the team. Now I feel like my role is more about stabilizing the company, absorbing any bottlenecks and, and really making progress on that for everyone of my managers and everyone else on the team to ensure that they are getting the outcomes that we've all agreed upon that we're going to hit as a company. I like that you said the rhino lining. Is that just kind of how developing a thick skin that you don't take everything too personally or you don't? What, what do you mean? Yeah, rhino lining. So that's actually what our, our CEO calls it. And that's uh, just the ability to keep her cool and, and not be phased and say, you know what, this is a big problem and we're all going to come together and, and solve it as a company. We've We've seen a lot of great progress that way. So we have quarterly goals. We, we kind of do a waterfall system, like annual, quarterly, monthly. And we pick quarterly goals and assign every department for finance to HR. We have the same quarterly goal. And we're like, we are going to solve this problem. We're all going to be thinking about it. We're all going to be talking about it. And we're going to find a way through it. And we've really been able to move the needle and grow as a company with that kind of strategy. I love that. And for the rhino lining years ago, when I was building College Pro Painters, we were talking about just kind of the entrepreneurial bobbing and weaving culture. And that, you know, it's like, if you want to make God laugh, tell them you've got a plan because that plan is just going to change and shift. And you, you kind of have to be good with it going, Oh shit. And just as long as you're pointing in that right direction, how do you, do you assign the goals and the, um, you know, the rocks to each person in each business area, or do you let them select what their goals are and help nudge them in the right direction? How does that process work? Yeah. So we set the annual and the quarterly goals, and then we work with each department to set their monthly goal that's specific to solving that quarterly goal and hitting our annual goal together. Yeah. So our annual goal, it's just the one one number, keeping it simple. And then our quarterly goal, um, along with that annual number, will be a little bit more tactical. Like, okay, we're really going to get our churn below 2%, like, this is what we're going to do. This is the strategy and have everyone really pitch in to work on customer experience, you know, for that quarter and really change whatever flaws we've seen. I love that. That's where you get the alignment in the organization, but you also get people excited about what they're working on because they see purpose in their in their work, right? And then it, it shifts on that monthly basis. Yeah. Do you use any software to organize all of this? Do you Are you running off something like 90.io or what are you doing internally there? Yeah, we use Monday. We use Monday um, and we love, it has time tracking. It's great for project management. We all have our weekly um, 
work manager in there for for a management level. So Monday is is really our where the the process and accountability happens um, for the process. Love it. All right, let's talk about some of the highs and lows of growth. I mean, I'm sure that it has been easy, right? Just growing from six people to 100, easy every single day. Oh, so easy. Oh, every day. <laughs> no, no. Yeah, the, the highs, we just going back to bringing our brands the best possible result we can, um, watching them grow as we grow and, you know, having that mission statement, partner successes, canopy success. That's the high. So when we hear, we just had a bunch of, Supplement and health and beauty brands have the best February ever. So best revenue numbers they've ever had in the company's history. And we love hearing those stories. We love sharing that with our team and saying, look what we did together. Look how we moved the needle for this brand. Um, Those are the highs. And winning awards, we just won two awards for our creative services and videos. And like our team just really, really lives on those wins for our brands. And what about some of the lows? the lows, um, I think the the problems and challenges you face, they they really don't go away. Um, they get bigger and more complex as the company grows. So again, that rhino lining is just critical to, you know, help the team align and move through those problems without feeling shaken. Like, you know, you're going to break things when you're growing quickly, as quickly as we are. Things break sometimes. You solve one problem and another one will pop up. Um, so I think that some of the lows is just keeping that in mind and not letting the issues phase you and demotivate you, but, you know, using it as an opportunity to align the team and come together and, and, you know, get through it. Now you've had, you know, in, in this trajectory, you guys have built a really strong company culture. You clearly care about people and, um, you know, the culture of the organization, but every once in a while we have those people that we have to let go either because of results or culture fit. How do you balance that? And, you know, I, I don't get the feeling like you're one of those people that are just, you know, quick to fire the bottom performers and you're very kind of Machiavellian about it. How, how do you balance that, the need to actually at times remove that, either the cultural cancer or the low performer and also still care about them as a person? Do you have systems for that? We we do, we do. So we always, you know, somebody's not hitting their numbers or there's an issue. We always try to fix the, the process first. You know, if it's a core value issue, we try to coach them through that. If it's just a results issue, we really try to look at the process and figure out if, you know, the expectations are in line or if something else is preventing the result. And yeah, I, I think we've been making progress there. It is hard though. When do you when do you say, okay, I can't, this isn't a good fit? And when do you keep trying to develop that person? Because everyone, I think, is capable of making the the progress professionally to get there. Um, so I don't know that we've completely figured it out, but I think we've gotten better at it. And we are very careful about hiring right culture fits. So that helps. We're very selective. Yeah, it, it is one of the tough ones. I mean, Michael Gerber, who wrote the E-Myth Revisited, would be happy with your kind of focus on going back to the systems and going back to the process all the time. He always said that people don't fail, systems fail. Yeah. And when you kind of take that, that approach, but then, yeah, I mean, I was coaching the CEO of Sprint years ago and he asked me, he was frustrated about some people stuff. And he said, when are people not going to be the issue? And I started laughing. I said, you know, you're the 82nd largest company in the United States. If people are an issue for you, they're always an issue, right? Yeah. That's the hard part of the business. That's the art. Yeah. All right. Let's go back. 
let's go back to the 21, 22 year old Haley. You're just getting started in your career. <laughs> what advice would you give the younger you? Advice that maybe you know to be true today. Oh man, what advice would I give to the younger me? I would say just try to not be too serious and really enjoy the ride. I think maybe in the beginning, we were so focused, maybe lost the fun aspect, but fun really makes everything go faster and not taking yourself so seriously to get the results. I think sometimes that can hold you back. And especially in business where, like you're saying, it's always about the people. It's always about the experience. Um, So I think just making sure that you're making progress while having a good time, that would be probably the advice. I love it. Haley Burt, the COO for Canopy Management. Thank you so much for sharing with us on the Second in Command podcast. Thanks, Cameron. Appreciate it. You've been listening to Second in Command, brought to you by COO Alliance founder, Cameron Harold. If you enjoyed this episode, please be sure to like, share, and subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and our other podcast streaming platforms. For more best practices from industry-leading COOs, visit COOalliance.com.